one of the other things too around values is they're so personal. And so figuring out what is important to me in life, what's meaningful to me, what kind of a mom do I want to be right now? What kind of a person have I typically been? And what's usually important to me just across the board? Like, what do I want to really like play up in my life? And then that means, of course, that there will be elements that maybe you don't get to right now in this season. But then in another season, it might be that those items move up on your list because you have different capacity at that time. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. We're excited for this episode today. We're going to be interviewing Dr. Angel Montfort. She is a mom of four little ones. She is a psychologist that is very passionate about perinatal mental health. We're going to cover all the topics today that I know are going to be so impactful for you guys. But first, I wanted Dr. Angel to take a minute and introduce herself. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Um, So uh, you did a really good job. I am a a psychologist and I specialize in perinatal mental health. I own a private practice in Wesley Chapel, which is close to the Tampa area in Florida. And I pretty much see clients individually who are experiencing distress either during pregnancy or in postpartum. I do. I have four little ones there. They range from 11 to three. So we have a lot going on in the house, as I'm sure both of you can relate to as well. I think that's it. Uh, That does. It does sound like a full house and a lot of probably different events going on over there. Summer has been a lot. (laughs) There's a lot of of shuffling back and forth. And I literally just did a post about it as well, because it just feels like I'm constantly when they are home, I'm constantly on snack patrol and like, please don't touch that. Please don't fight with each other. And so it's busy. I'm sure so many of our listeners are relating. Well, I was telling you right before we started, I listened to your interview on The Mom Room. And during that interview, you said that 85% of women experience the baby blues. Mm -hmm. And the baby blues should pass by about the three-week mark postpartum. Yet a lot of times when a woman goes to her six-week checkup and she's describing these symptoms to her doctor, often they'll tell her, this is the baby blues. So at that point, how do you recommend that women proceed with the conversation? Like, Would it be that she should advocate for herself to get help from a trained therapist? Should she wait it out like her doctor is recommending? This feels like a really challenging responsibility to put on moms that are already, as we all know, going through so much at that point. So I would love your insight. Yes. So this is a a great question because you're right. This happens often that perinatal distress is dismissed at that appointment and sometimes not. I mean, there's a lot happening in terms of increasing the comfort level with mental health in maternal, you know, healthcare providers. However, if that happens, I would definitely, I'll start with what I would not do, not wait it out. I think that 
often we have just a very different standard between what's okay for our physical health and what's okay for our mental health. And so if you were to say, you know, I broke my arm, I think I'm going to wait it out. I think I'm going to, you know, wrap it in like an ACE bandage and put it in a little sling that I made. That would be absurd. And we would say, absolutely not. You need to get in, get treatment, get a cast. It's going to, it's not going to heal the same way if you don't go and get it looked at. I think it's pretty similar in terms of our mental health where, yes, you could wait it out and it would probably get better over time as your children grow up, as things change in your life. But it could get better a lot faster if you were to have some sort of help along the way in doing that. So if your provider, let's say they they just don't know um, enough about maternal mental health, but maybe they're an amazing medical provider to you and you don't want to switch that's fine. Certainly you could if you didn't feel heard or you didn't feel fully cared for. But if you feel like, you know, I really like my medical provider, but I also want some more attention to my mental health, then there are lots of other things that you can look into on your own to advocate for yourself. So Postpartum Support International has a ton of resources, support groups, provider directories. So PSI has one, but also the Postpartum Stress Center has one where you can look nationally to see other providers who are in your area and who specialize in treating maternal mental health issues. There's a questionnaire that you can look up online as well. It's called the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale. And it goes through a lot of the different symptoms that you might be experiencing postpartum. It's just really quick. It's like a 10 question thing, but you can score it. And some of them will even score themselves just to give yourself an idea of, okay, is this something that I should probably seek additional help for? And it gives a little guideline with the scoring. So that's something you can do on your own at home to screen yourself. And honestly, I'd recommend doing that during pregnancy because so much of, like you said, it's kind of a large burden to then place on a mom and a new mom who's trying to navigate things, having some stressors, and is now having to figure out, do I need treatment? Should, how can I go about getting it? So just like we prepare for a lot of the other things that could come up postpartum medically, we can also prepare during the pregnancy and we can start identifying who would my team be if I was suffering with a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder? You know, what would I do? Who would I ask? Um, does my provider, my medical provider feel comfortable with that? Or should I seek out another medical provider to kind of have at the ready to be able to contact if, you know, something develops? Dr. Angel, so many good resources right there and such a good answer. We love using this platform to spread information about maternal mental health because women aren't getting it enough. And I wish I would have had that answer after our second baby or, as you pointed out, during the pregnancy with our second because my baby blues lasted way longer than that three, six-week checkmark. And I just kept on thinking it was the baby blues when in reality, it was postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression. So if if you are pregnant right now and are looking at trying to figure out ways to prevent and provide for yourself in that postpartum period, those are awesome resources to check out. Oh, great. Yeah. If any others come to me, I'll, I'll email them to you. But please do. Please do. We love sharing those on our Instagram account too. And as you know, the the load that we carry it's heavy. Like it's just so heavy. And if we're being really honest, I think most of us go through those points where we don't feel like ourselves. I've been through so many of those points, even in the last 10 months here, we have a, a baby who's 10 months old and I just don't feel like myself so much of the time. So are there some check-ins, maybe a few prompts that the women who are listening could do right now to see how they're feeling and to really check in? How are you really, really feeling inside their motherhood? Yes, absolutely. So let's start with what you, what you just mentioned, Abby, that 
you're noticing 10 months in that some things don't quite feel like, you know, they're mm-hmm. themselves, you're, mm-hmm. they're part of your original self. Um, how did you know that? Like, how do you, how do you notice that? How do you figure that out? Yeah, when I'm feeling, I'm usually a pretty optimistic person. And when I have bouts of weepiness or if I'm feeling like extra tired, like those are things that aren't normally me. I've never experienced them in the past. Definitely not when I'm not pregnant or directly postpartum. So when I'm having those thoughts and those feelings, that's when I know something's up. Okay. Yeah. So what I love about that is you started off by talking about I'm usually an optimistic person, right? So I think that's a big part of it is thinking back to when was the last time that I felt like myself and what was that like for me? If the last time that I felt like myself was I was really optimistic, I was um, really involved with my friends, I was doing different things in my community, then that's going to clue you in a little bit to maybe what's missing and maybe what some of the feelings are that are contributing to you feeling off a little bit. So I think it's always great. And it's definitely a question that I talk with clients about to, to look backward and think about the last time that you, you know, did not have this feeling and then to talk about what's different between then and now, because sometimes it's hard to think if someone says, you know, I don't feel like myself. It's sometimes it's hard to really tease out what that means um, in the now because you're in it. So if you're able to refer back to when was a time that I felt good, I felt fulfilled, I felt like I'm in alignment with my values, um, and then we kind of compare and contrast. I like to pay attention as well. I think it's important to pay attention to the things that make us jealous, the things that we compare ourselves against others around. Because as much as I know both of those things are kind of like no-nos and we kind of say, you know, try not to compare and try not to be jealous of other people. The fact is that those feelings do come up and we do, um, we do compare, we do scroll on social media and sometimes feel badly about ourselves. And instead of before we kind of like try to move through that, I think it's important to just take a little bit of inventory. What types of things typically make me feel this way? What types of accounts am I unfollowing because it brings up a, you know, a negative feeling or an unfair comparison? Because you might start to see a theme. You might start to see that where there are situations where, let's say, the parent figure um, works within the home or where there are two parent families or where there are um, people who have not had any difficulties with, let's say, fertility or something like that, and that brings up feelings inside of you, then it's a good idea to think about, okay, what is that stirring up and why? Therapy, of course, is a great place to explore some of that and tease it out. But even just with like a close friend or through journaling, um, through your mindfulness time, your meditation time, really trying to get a sense of what's missing for me. Are there any gaps? And if so, then what do I need right now? I love that answer because I think a lot of us are like, okay, don't compare, don't compare yourself, don't compare yourself. But it's truly a normal human thought. And instead of like running away from it or shaming yourself for feeling it, you're saying acknowledge, is there a theme that I keep doing this? For me, after my first, I had a really hard time comparing to other people that had more support than I did. So if they had, for example, my sister had my mom as her nanny. And so I I couldn't help but being like, that's so much easier. Like I have to take my kid to daycare every day. And she, my mom goes to her house. And so I, I did eventually find out like, okay, I do need some more support. And that's something that I can find instead of just sitting in that like resentment. Mm -hmm. 
I loved what you said there. Another topic that we had to cover with you today is self-compassion. So we go through periods of time, I think most of us have had this, where we think, why is motherhood so hard for me? It looks so much easier for her. Why Like, why am I struggling? I know I used to do this too when I had one child. I'm like, I have one child. How is she out here with three children You know, at the farmer's market? I can't even handle this with one. So I wanted to ask you, how can we start to help women get through this thought and find more compassion for themselves? That is a great question. And honestly, we could, I, I could do, I could talk for hours about self-compassion because I think that it's so important and that it really does um, lend itself well, especially in motherhood. But the question that you first started off with, you know, asking yourself, like, what am I doing wrong or what's bad about me? What's defective about me that's making this hard? And there are three tenets of self-compassion that kind of work together to help you um, address that. Dr. Kristen Neff is kind of like the guru of self-compassion and the three components that she talks about are awareness, just mindfulness of your present emotion, of the situation, um, of what's happening in and around you. And then you combine that with kindness and sort of like soothing support. And then you also combine that with a connection to humanity. And so the way that I think um, that part in particular helps, of course, is that you're able to then feel security and knowing that you're not the only person going through this. You're not the only mom who's having a hard time with this type of thing right now. And so you might build that through, you know, the work that like Abby and Amy, the work that you do even in spreading awareness that all of us are struggling with some of this. This is hard. It's hard because it's hard. It's hard because I'm a human. And so you're able to then connect with the fact that pain is just an inevitable part of life. Things being hard is an inevitable part of life, especially in motherhood. And so I'm not defective, but this is this is a thing that's happening because I'm a human and this is part of the human experience. So it takes a lot of the blame out of it. And it takes a lot of the, I guess, the personalization and just feeling like this is abnormal, something, something I'm doing wrong, or there's something wrong about me. It becomes, oh, this is just a part of how it is with self-compassion, you're putting those three things together and you're trying to treat yourself with as much kindness and care as you would a close friend or your child. You're treating yourself kind of like with soft hands, but also you're fiercely protecting the things that matter to you as well. Women do such a good job of thinking, of shaming themselves and really like we're so much nicer to our friends. And it's like, you guys, everyone has struggle. You just like don't see it. Exactly. Yeah. So I think there's such a power in that transparency and being able to know that I'm not the only person who's going through this and that I am deserving of kindness. And so the inner critic will often come in and make us feel that self-compassion would actually harm us or would make us weaker or lazier in some way or something, or we're giving ourselves this free pass and we're not accountable. And actually Research shows us that that's not the case at all, that self-compassion actually helps with our emotional resilience and it helps with our relations. It helps with achievement and productivity. So being kind to yourself is actually going to be going to help you to do the things that sometimes you're kind of like doubting whether or not you can do. Taking a quick break to introduce you guys to one of our new podcast partners. It is Eat to Evolve. Eat to Evolve delivers healthy pre-made meals 
to your door. So what we love about this company is that your meal comes ready. All you have to do is microwave it. We're all loving this company because it's making life so much easier. It tastes really good. There's a great variety. So each week I just go in, I choose from their a la carte menu, whatever looks really good. And then that comes to my door. So Drew and I have been eating them for lunch every single day and we can highly recommend them. So if you go to eattoevolve.com and use the code HERSELF, you can get 20% off your first order. The website is super simple to use. You put in your location and they let you pick when your meals will be delivered. Again, that's eattoevolve.com and put in code HERSELF for 20% off your first order. And Chris and Neff has so much goodness, so many good talking points. And those three were the humanity, the awareness, and the kindness, and really focusing in on that kindness. I like what you said there, Dr. Angel, about the self-critic and how we can critique ourselves. So many of us do that. That voice is so loud on the inside when we are talking so nicely to others on the outside. We're talking nicely to our children, but then inside we are just rude and angry and mean and so critical of who we are, what we're doing, and our behaviors. And I know that many women struggle with that negative self-talk and how we speak to ourselves. It's important. And our words are so powerful. So I would love if you could share some affirmations that our listeners could use to maybe start rewriting this script and overall just talk to themselves a little bit nicer. So I'm, I'm going to talk through the affirmations, but I think it's also important to note how pervasive the inner critic is. And sometimes when I start to talk about affirmations, I get this pushback immediately. That's like, I can't do that. That won't feel genuine or that will hold me back. Or I won't, um, you know, I won't be able to do my best. I'm, I'm not being real with myself if I do that. And so before you even move to the affirmations and that kindness part of self-compassion, there has to be this assessment of what would actually be harmful about being kind to myself? Why am I so resistant to this? And a lot of stuff can come up when you do that. So it might be that it feels unsafe to be kind to myself because then I have this fear that someone else is going to come along and be very unkind to me and I won't be prepared for it or something awful will happen and I will not have rehearsed it a thousand times in my mind. And so I have to protect myself with whatever it is that I'm doing. Usually if we're engaging in a behavior like negative self-talk, it serves some type of purpose. Whether or not that purpose is actually effective, we have thoughts about why our negative voice inside is actually helping us or defending us in some way. So it's good to even like just ask yourself, what's getting in my way here? What am I telling myself about what it would mean to be kind? And then to try and challenge those as best you can. So once you're able to get past that, and just like we talked about with the self-compassion research, once you're able to even know a little bit more about negative self-talk and realize that it's actually not helping to motivate you, it's not helping to get you towards your goals, it's not protecting you or making it less hurtful when others give you negative feedback, then you can move into maybe what affirmations would be helpful. A few of them that I, that are kind of my go-tos are, I am worthy of good things, I am enough. This is hard and this is hard because I'm human. I know better now. So sometimes when we make mistakes, that's a big place where the inner critic comes in. Um, so even being able to be honest about that. So we talked about that awareness, assess the situation. Okay, I'm, you know, maybe I did make a mistake or maybe I did um, speak too soon or I yelled or whatever. I know better now. I, I, I'm capable of doing better. I'm capable of making different decisions now than I did then. 
and ultimately that I'm deserving of this. And that, I don't want to simplify it because I think that that really does tap into a lot of our deeper emotional um, experiences, our history around whether or not we feel worthy or we feel like we're actually deserving of self-compassion. So um, in the beginning, it may feel very foreign and it may almost feel like wrong to say these things or to feel these things. Um, it can even tie in with like your own spirituality, your own religious beliefs around like strife and struggle and punishment and retribution and these kinds of things. So, you know, if this is coming up and you're able to process it through the therapist, I, I definitely would. But if you're trying to kind of like practice the affirmations, even, you know, right now, you can do that and see how it feels over time. So I would be just prepared for it may not feel completely natural right off the bat. And you may kind of have to play around with it and find affirmations that actually fit your situation. Mm, thank you for sharing all of that. It all makes sense. And as all of you know, Abby and I are such huge proponents of mental health and therapy. And both of us have worked with our therapists through things like that. So just another plug for therapy there. Another thing, we're hitting you with all of these like really hard subjects. Like all of a sudden I'm like, wow, we're covering a lot here because right now we're going to move into mom guilt. And I know anytime we bring this up on the podcast, if we bring it up in Instagram, even when I'm talking to our my own friends, like mom guilt is something that every mother can relate to. You know, she might be new in her journey at working through mom guilt or a little bit further down the road, but I think that every woman listening can relate to this subject. So we want to know, how do you work with your clients and communities at getting a handle on mom guilt so it doesn't impact them from doing things that are good for them or living their life, even though they have babies? That's an important area. And you're right. Cause I'm noticing each one of these questions, like, Oh, we could do a whole episode on this. Cause I have so much to say, but um, mom guilt is a big one. And um, the thing that sticks out to me most about mom guilt is that it is so unfair that, you know, typically just that emotion guilt Part of its definition is that it's connected to some sort of wrongdoing, that you feel guilt when you have done something wrong, something that's, you know, against your values or something that, you know, you knew was wrong, you did this thing, um, and now you feel guilty for it. Or even inadvertently, you caused some kind of harm, you did something wrong. With mom guilt, though, it doesn't require that you've done anything wrong at all. It usually just comes up. And typically, we haven't actually made a mistake or done something wrong, and we're feeling this mom guilt. Because mom guilt is a little more rooted in perfectionism and this deep down, this underlying belief that I should be everywhere and do everything right and do it with ease. And so then when we don't, which is, you know, spoiler alert, like all the time, we then feel really guilty about it. And so I think those of us who I certainly can identify as um, a recovering perfectionist, mom guilt comes for us first because we already kind of have this narrative that I should be good and do things well and try to get it right. And so then, you know, motherhood comes along and despite our best efforts, a lot of stuff is out of our control and it's, it can be really activating. So the mom guilt, like you said, it's something that um, pretty much all of us experience from time to time. I think that it's really important to think back to what is actually important to me what are my priorities? What are my values? And am I doing things that are lining up with 
those things, not that are lining up with all the priorities, all the values that are present in the world, but mine. So I may find a priority in, let's say my priority is in social emotional learning. It's really important that, you know, my children know how to express themselves and how to be kind and connect to other people. And let's say a priority of mine is not as much, let's say, um, I don't know, nutrition even, right? Like I want to make sure that they're, that they have their nutrition and that they're healthy, but in terms of like cooking organic meals all the time, or like making lunches that are super cute and doing those things, like maybe that's not a full on priority of mine. Maybe it's there, but it's a little bit further down the list. Then at the end of the day, if I have not um, necessarily made the meals and the lunches that are amazing and spectacular, but I have sat with my child and we read together and we talked about, you know, their day, then that's going to be something that lines up with my values. Someone else might see it completely differently where they're going to have different priorities and different values and they're in different order and that's fully okay. But mom guilt will tell us that that's not okay and that actually we should be able to do both. And then on top of that, we should be able to do even more. I loved that answer. And I was going to say back, I think that one thing that has been coming up on the podcast that we are really passionate about is the idea that you just said. People have different values and we don't have time to do everything. We don't have time to across the board care about every single thing in motherhood. Like that's just not. So what are your values? They're going to be different from Dr. Angel's. They're going to be different from mine. They're going to be different from Abby's. It's what are your values and make sure that you spend your time and energy meeting those and not focusing on what someone else is great at or what someone else really values. Yes. Thank you. I love the way that you put that because one of the other things too around values is they're so personal. And so figuring out what is important to me in life? What's meaningful to me? What kind of a mom do I want to be right now? What kind of a person have I typically been? And what's usually important to me um, just across the board? Like, what do I want to really like play up in my life? And then that means, of course, that there will be elements that maybe you don't get to right now in this season. But then in another season, it might be that those items move up on your list because you have different capacity at that time. Yes, to the different capacity. Right now, I will take a store-bought lasagna with an easy cleanup and being able to play with my kids outside over hours in the kitchen doing something that I'm not good at, that I don't like doing because, yeah, those values are so different. So the capacity looks different. The values look different. So much value in that answer right there. And we did cover mom guilt completely in episode 80. And we know that some people are just more prone to it. So Dr. Angel, you brought up the perfectionist and the recovering perfectionism. People like you, people like me, we can be more prone to the mom guilt because we think we can be doing it all and more. And in reality, we just can't. And we love when our therapists get real and share their personal experience. So thanks for bringing that to the podcast. And to go a little bit deeper, um, in your own motherhood, is there any place that mom guilt shows up? And if there is, are there ways that you are working through it right now? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, yes, absolutely. Mom guilt. As I was saying, my oldest is 11. And so I've been, you know, doing this mom thing for a while. And my mom guilt has kind of changed and shifted along the way. I would say it's much more under control now, um, but it still, it still pops up quite often. And my big areas have been 
childcare, I would say, and rest. Because with childcare, they were in, my children were often in daycare. I was finishing up grad school and then I was working full time um, as a psychologist. And so, you know, they've spent time in daycare and they've spent time in like after school care. And I always just felt this immense guilt about not being with them all the time. And sometimes, you know, for the record, mom guilt is also often perpetuated by like other moms. <laughs> we do it yes, to each yes. other, you know, and we do it to ourselves. And so sometimes comments like, oh, I would never send my children to daycare, you know, or like, well, I don't want another person raising my child. They cut you so deep and you really feel the guilt coming from my own desire to do things right. But then also sometimes coming from the outside and coming from things that people say or things you see, you know, in media and things like that. So that's always been kind of a push and pull with how much time am I spending with them and should I be there all the time? And then with rest, I don't know what it is about taking naps, but whenever I take a nap, I get up once I'm up, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just really needed that nap. Or it's like, let me try and do extra stuff now to make up for the fact that I took a nap. Mind you, my partner is super supportive and he's always just like, why are you doing that? Why are you apologizing? It's fine. Take a nap. But there's something inside of me that then feels guilty. Like I, I, I took time away or I didn't put in enough of my fair share of the work because I took this nap. And I think with mom guilt too, it's really important to explore some of those origins around what ideas do I have about what it means to be a good mom and what good moms do and what they don't do, because that also informs a lot of the guilt that we feel. So I, I've done a lot of that work around just self-exploration, which has helped me to see, oh, certain things trigger my mom guilt because when I was little, this is how it was. Or because when I was little, this is how I heard my mom talk about other moms who did X, Y, Z, you know? And so I think just doing that on, you know, your own personal work is really good. But I would also say that I, I intentionally use self-compassion in those moments where I narrate to myself, this is mom guilt. This is hard for you because you know, you tend to wear the perfectionism and you want to feel like you're doing it right because you care about your children and because you're a human, you know, and moms feel this way. And I really talk to myself when I'm noticing that it comes up. So I think that has helped me a lot through it. And I think the experience of having multiple children over the years and seeing that some of the things that I was attributing to my own hard work were actually just their temperament and their personality. Mm -hmm. And then when I tried that same thing with a different kid, it was like, no, not happening. So I think that has helped me too. That's helped me to lighten up a little bit in realizing that I only have so much control. And it's really not like if I make a mistake, it's going to be catastrophic. And I, you know, that kind of learning, I think, just comes through experience. Like they're all here. Everything worked out okay for the most part all the things that I was so, you know, concerned about. So sometimes just time and just realizing that mom guilt is not actually helping us. And it doesn't help. And having that self-awareness and self-exploration can be so key to figure out where that mom guilt's coming from. If it's coming from internally or what you're seeing on the outside, if it's coming from things that are out of your control that you want so badly to have in your control, but realize that it just, it can't always be like that. And I loved this quote that you shared on your Instagram account when you said, motherhood has a way of showing you what's truly essential. As your capacity grows in some areas, it will inevitably shrink in others. That is not a flaw. It's a superpower. 
And as an achiever, this is one thing that I've had to go through. I've had to improve on. And to be honest, I still struggle with this one often. Pre-kids, I was so used to being able to fit everything in. And I was so used to being able to do things at my own pace at a really high capacity. And then motherhood happened. And especially after our second baby. I've been bringing up our second baby quite a bit. I'm realizing now after talking to you and all of our therapists on the podcast, Dr. Angel, that there was a lot going on after we brought our second child on that I just would push underneath the rug. But after he came into the world, I realized that I couldn't do it all. And it felt like a flaw. It can feel like a flaw. And I still get frustrated with this part of motherhood, but I would love your take on why it's actually a superpower. Yes. Um, I think when we are pregnant, you know, we're in that prenatal stage, so much is changing in our bodies. Organs are literally shifting, you know, to make space and we feel different. Our energy level is different. Our sleep is different. All these things change and we know that that's going to happen and we accept that as a part of it. But there's a lot of changes that happen in our own brain and our emotional capacity as well, where research has actually shown that there are changes in gray matter and in brain activity where there may there's less activity happening in the areas that help us with like stress regulation and short-term memory. So, you know, people talk about like brain fog or like mommy brain or these kinds of things, but that there's also more activity happening and there's more volume in the areas where we um, process social cognition, like empathy and feelings of attachment and feelings of connection. And so when you think about it, it's kind of like our brain has decided to focus on what is at hand, to focus on the task at hand. And so there's been like this subconscious shifting of our values that's just kind of happening. And that to me is the part of it that's like a superpower that is like, Wow, you know, we talk about birth in that way often that you know, my our bodies were able to then do this, but our mind is also doing something spectacular where it's deciding, okay, I might not need as much energy focused on some of the things that helped me be a high achiever before motherhood, but I may need a lot of attention on caring for this baby, on learning new things about safety and infant care and all. I mean, I remember reading so many books with my first, where it was like all this new information is now coming into my head. Some things are going to kind of get lost in the shuffle. And that is more so efficient than I think is a flaw. But we don't usually see it like that. We usually see it as a change that's unwanted and sort of like, we don't want to change. We want to be able to say, I'm still the same person. I can do, you know, I can do motherhood and I'm still me because we're really clinging to that. And so, if we view a little bit differently, I think if we viewed it like this is a superpower, this is something wonderful that I'm able to do and it's not permanent. So that's the other thing is that eventually, as we talked about before, capacity changes, the needs of your children are going to change. And eventually some of those parts of you that you had before, you'll be able to redefine and reintegrate into your life. So it's not that it's forever, but it is in that moment a loss. And so this is another place where I like to sneak self-compassion in where if you're feeling, you know, some sadness about that, or you're feeling maybe some anger about that, that that's okay. And that that makes sense because this is, a, you've lost a part of yourself. If you're that person who used to be, you know, the friend who you go to for everything, and now you're not really answering your phone as much because you've got so much going on, there's going to be a sense of loss maybe in your friendships, but also in your own view of yourself as a person and your identity. So 
it's really complex, but I do think that when we reframe it as this is something that's meant to happen and it's something that even our brain kind of hops on board with, then we're able to adjust our expectations of ourselves in a different way. And we're also able to hold ourselves with compassion around the fact that it's not easy to do that. You spoke to me on that answer right there. And I know there's a lot of women whose heads are nodding. Well, we can think about change as being immediately a bad thing because we have a plan. We, It's perfect. And then when it changes, it's like, oh, no, this is unwanted. But in reality, that change can be good. And it's just part of life. And when you're talking about the gray matter, did you read the New York Times article with Jenny Gritters? This is your brain on motherhood? No, I haven't read that okay. yet. It, was, it goes into so much of the detail. We'll make sure to link it this week um, over on Instagram and in our Patreon account. But it goes into so much of the detail on how the gray matter changes. And exactly like you said, we have more capacity for the emotional and for the safety side. Yet the achievement side, it might go down a little bit. And that's just part of caring for children and making sure that their needs are being met when that's definitely the most important thing. So I just love that you brought that part up right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just even with the time that you have and the resources that you have, all of that changes. And so you have to kind of fit your life into it. I mean, and we do it in all these other areas, but for some reason, there's such a negative connotation when it comes to motherhood. So I think that's just more systemic and kind of needs to change like globally in the way we think about motherhood. But even when you think about all of what we're able to take in now and all of what we're able to do with technology. And so our brains have kind of expanded to be able to do things differently than maybe our parents did. But at the same time, none of us remember each other's phone numbers. I don't know. I know maybe like three phone numbers max in my head. No, my husband is like Amy because I I have no idea what his phone number is. Five, five, six. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right. Like, I mean, when we were we were younger and when our, you know, our parents were parenting, you had to keep all that stuff in your brain. Like you had to have space there for knowing everybody's number, knowing how to get places. I mean, I was never very good with direction anyway, but now it's like, you don't need that. You have other things that can help you do that quickly. Yeah. Now we, we remember people's Instagram handles. So if I ever have an emergency, I'm just going to DM him. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And it's like, okay, that's, fine. Like we accept sometimes I don't need space for that part right now. And so it's just, I think it it often comes up that way as well in motherhood, where it's just like certain things I may have the capacity for in a different way because I, I need to have it in a different way, or I don't need to have it in that way anymore. Yeah. And I love that answer too. It's like, it's a shift. Like there's been this huge shift in our lives and things are going to change and change isn't always bad, but it can be hard to accept that. All right. And a break from our podcast partner, which is Gooder Sunglasses. Amy and I have loved Gooder since before they were even a podcast partner. And they're great because you can use them from boating to running to running errands to just being a mom when you're outside. And in the summertime, it is so important to have your eyes protected and do it in a cute way, of course. So for your our podcast listeners, you can get 15% off by going to gooder.com and using code HERSELF15. Again, that's gooder, G-O-O-D-R.com and using code HERSELF15. I wanted to run another one past you that I saw on your Instagram account. It said, a gentle reminder, you can love your mother deeply 
and also have very different ideas about the kind of mother you want to be. This is not a rejection of her. It is an acceptance of you. And I loved that last part, the acceptance of you, because I think so many women struggle with doing things differently from their mom, from their sister, from their best friend. So can you coach our community through this one? Yes, absolutely. When you're in this process of becoming a mother, of matrescence, it's really similar to almost like adolescence or a phase in life where so much is changing for you and you're moving through into a different phase of your journey. So you're going from being, let's say, a daughter only or a sister only to now being a daughter and a mother, a sister and a mother. And you're kind of in this like club with your mom as equal members when in the past, this has been like the leader. This has been the person that you go to and that you listen to and that is an authority figure in your life. It's a really huge shift. And sometimes, of course, we'd like we just talked about things are different now. Um, we're, we're living in a time where conscious parenting is kind of like very widely used. And things that we used to think about sleep or discipline or feed infant care have changed. I know just even between my first child, who's 11, and my last, who's three, things had changed about what they were recommending for me to do. So if we think about then a whole generation gap between us and our mothers, there's often a lot of space for differing opinions, for disagreeing on things, for just kind of like coming up with your own way that you want to do it. And sometimes there's this false dichotomy that it's either or, either I love her and I appreciate who she was for me as a mom, or I disagree with her and I'm basically betraying her in doing so. And so that can, of course, lead to a lot of um, hurt feelings. It can lead to a lot of angst on our part, but also sometimes we get pushback from the people, the, the other moms in our lives who maybe don't understand why we are, quote unquote, rejecting their style of doing it. So it can lead to a lot of friction, of course. I made that post in particular because I think sometimes too much of the focus is on that clash, that dichotomy, as opposed to it can be a both and. You can really view your mom as as a good mom who is doing the best that she could and at the same time have a completely different idea about how you want to do it. You can also be, sometimes it comes up that you, as you are doing things a bit differently, you may even notice gaps in terms of what you may have needed as a child and what you actually got. And there's a lot of material um, out there about the mother wound by um, Bethany Webster does a lot of that. And just this, like this idea that we carry some of the wounds from our relationship with our mom and either what we had or didn't have into our journey as mothers. And a lot of it comes up sometimes for the first time as we're entering into matrescence and as we're becoming a mom. So I say that all of that to say, I think that it's really important then to identify that when it's happening and to be able to, again, normalize that this is a big change, but that it's meant to be that way. And it's meant to be this kind of like coming into my own, individuating, asserting my independence as a mom. So I don't think that that's easy. I think, again, pretty much everything we talked about today, it's not easy at all, but it doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong or you're bad or you're being mean or you're being disrespectful. It's more so that you're coming into your own and you're figuring out what kind of um, path you want to forge for yourself. And that's, that's okay. It's perfectly within your rights to be able to 
set the boundaries, set the traditions in your family to come up with kind of like what your norms are going to be for your family. Well, it's the first time you're doing all of these. For those with one child, it's the first time that you've become a mom. It's the first time you've added another kid. It's the first time you've had three or bringing on stepchildren or bonus children or any kind of change. It's the first time we're doing it. And if it's hard, it doesn't mean that we're doing it wrong. It just means that it's a little bit different. So that's one of the big values and one of the big messages that we always want to share with our audience. And we'd love to close this one out. You've had so much value in this one already, but we'd love to close it out with one message that you wish every mama out there could hear. I would want to impart that pain and sorrow and joy and happiness are parts of life and they're parts of motherhood and that it's normal to have ups and downs and to have times that are more hard than others. Because I think often what I hear is that I just want to be happy, you know, or why can't I be happy? And happiness is a mood state. It's not a destination. It's not something that you aspire to. And then one day you arrive, it's more like a mood that just flows in and out of your lives, as well as all this other stuff that, you know, we talked about that flows in and out of your life as well. So I think that's, that's like my main message is to impart that it's a both and kind of situation in motherhood. I love that because I hear, you know, I saw someone on Instagram. I've enjoyed every minute of of having my kids home. And I'm like, I have not. I have absolutely <laughs> not enjoyed every minute. Sometimes it's been hard as heck. Yes. Yes. And I think that, you know, women see those overstatements that people make and then they judge themselves. And it's like, uh, I just, I don't, I think she was, that was a little reach for her. I don't think that that was a, a truth. This has been the most valuable conversation. We feel so lucky to have you as a guest. So we want you to tell our audience where they can find you if they want more of you. Okay, absolutely. Yes, I've enjoyed our conversation so much. I hang out a lot on Instagram at Dr. Angel Montfort. And so a lot of the resources I mentioned, like I'll share there and I'll share, you know, kind of like my thoughts about it and my clinical practice website is www.dfmnh.com, the Center for Maternal Mental Health. So yeah, that's where I am. Perfect. And we will link to all of those. So thank you all so much for listening. If you want to share this episode on Instagram, tagging both of our accounts, we would be so honored. 